We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? This is the Uncontested Podcast, covering the Oklahoma City Thunder. This podcast is ran by Jacob, Nick, Justin, Taylor, and Kamiar. Listen to future episodes on your favorite podcast streaming service like iTunes or Spotify. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating. This is Lou Dort. You're listening to the Uncontested. What is up? Welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We're part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, the official podcast of BoomtownHoops.com. We've got a, a little special episode here for you today. It's kind of like a little two-parter. Uh, for the first half, I got the chance to sit down with former Thunder beat writer for the Daily Oklahoman and The Athletic, now news editor for The Athletic, Eric Horn. Uh, if you are a Thunder fan, you are well aware of who Eric is. And I wanted to get Eric on to talk about the game that never happened 365 days ago, one year ago to the day, whenever the Thunder were supposed to play the Utah Jazz, the game ends up getting postponed due to Rudy Gobert testing positive for COVID-19. I think it's kind of the threshold moment for a lot of us of when the pandemic really became like real to us. And so I wanted to sit down and talk to Eric, who was in attendance at that game, covering that game, uh, and and just take a trip down memory lane with him and what he remembers from those moments and, and those feelings and whatnot. So it was an awesome conversation. We ended off talking about some stuff with, with the current day Thunder and how he feels about the team now that he's a little bit removed. And then in the second half of this episode, Nick and Taylor did a locker room hangout where they talked about things that they were looking forward to for the second half of the Thunder season, some bigger themes and ideas uh, to kind of get us kicked off before the Thunder take the court again for their second half games. Uh, they have 36 more to go. 
So hope you guys enjoy it. Stay around for both parts. And just a programming note for you, we will be live on Locker Room after the Thunder take on the Dallas Mavericks Thursday, March 11th. Uh, We'll be on the Locker Room app, so make sure that you download the app and you come and hang out, get your questions in, hang out with us, and that will also be posted to our podcast feed as soon as we are done recording. So with that being said, let's get you over to my conversation with Eric Horn. All right, so now I am joined by former Thunder beat writer for both the Oklahoman and the Athletic, and now news editor for the Athletic, Eric Horn. You guys have probably read tons of Eric's stuff over the years as Thunder fans. Uh, Eric, how's it going, man? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate this. Uh, Although, we're going to talk about maybe a, a little bit of a touchy subject, so... When this podcast releases on March 11th, it will mark the one-year anniversary of that Thunder versus Utah Jazz game that never happened, uh, got right up to happening, never happened as we found out Rudy Gobert was the first athlete to contract COVID-19. And I really feel like it's the crux of when when COVID became real for a lot of Americans. Uh, And you were in the arena that night covering that game. So I want to pick your brain a little bit, Eric, if you don't mind, um, and, and it can take however long you need it to. But can you just kind of give us a rundown of like when you arrived at the arena for that night, um, what protocols were kind of already in place, uh, and then how that night unfolded to ultimately like us getting the the notification that the league is going on hiatus? Yeah, it was um, it was it was just a bizarre night because you know, everybody went about their business the way that they normally do. And then, you know, in pregame, it just keeps lagging and lagging and you're, you're waiting for the tip off and the music keeps playing. <laughs> playing. It's like, you know, uh, you know, Rob Hennigan, the assistant GM and, uh, you know, the officials and Donnie Strack, the doctor kind of meet at midcourt. And that's when you, you kind of realize, okay, this isn't, this isn't right. And then you kind of start to put two and two together. You know, the, I think the night prior or the couple of days prior, um, I think Golden State had one of their games postponed. Um, and, but you still think it's kind of far away, you know, California is kind of out of, out of your reach. And you don't think that, you know, it's going to happen in the state you're in because Oklahoma obviously is not as, not as um you know politically liberal as California, um, but you know it it comes down and it's just shocking in the moment. It's really shocking. You're like wow, and that's when we didn't know a lot about COVID. So it was shocking, but also kind of scary too because you didn't really know the severity of what was going on. Definitely, yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that, like. You know, they, they, they come on the intercom at the game. They announce, you know, the game's been postponed. Uh, everyone's safe, yada, yada. People leave. Um, the prognosis finally comes out. I, I want to say it was Shams who, who originally broke the news on Twitter that, that Gobert had tested positive. And once you find that out and know that, like, you were on – were you on press row that night? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. like uh, up at the, the scorer's table? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was okay. sitting there and then um, – you know, once once they told the players to go back to the locker room, that's when I kind of went, um, you know, back in the 
and kind of the hallway underneath Chesapeake Energy Arena. And, uh, you know, we're walking around trying to figure out what's going on. And we can only go into certain areas. And, um, you know, that's when, you know, some of the tweets start coming across that Rudy Gobert um, has COVID. And then the, 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 the basically the, you know, the season's getting shut down. Um, it's, you know, the farther away I get from it, the more fuzzy the details get. But that was pretty much it. Um, you know, um it was very strange in the moment, but once the tweets start coming across, you can kind of hear the announcement in the arena and they're telling people to go home and it, then we come back out there and everybody's kind of, it was calm, you know, everybody was calm and they just walked out and people were kind of like, wow, this is, this is crazy, but it wasn't anything, it wasn't anything wild. It was just stunning. Yeah. So in that moment, whenever you know, you find out that it is COVID and, and Rudy Gobert. Uh, and then we learned Donovan Mitchell uh, had contracted as well. Do you have like an oh shit moment? Like I, am I exposed? Do, do I need a quarantine? Do I need a test? Like, do I go home and see my family? Like, is there that, that thought in your head in that moment? Or was, was the whole idea of COVID so new that like, you know, it never really registered that like, do I, do I need to do anything? No, it was totally like that. Like, I mean, I remember that entire night, I kind of felt, I felt weird. Like, I, I didn't know if I should even be there. And, you know, I, I think there was a common misconception when that night was going on that there were some people on Twitter who had gotten the idea that the writers couldn't leave. And that wasn't the case. Like, we could leave whenever we wanted to, but we were trying to get the entire story because the 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 teams were still in the locker room. They weren't allowed to leave. Um, so we were there really late, but it wasn't against our will. We were, we were allowed to leave whenever we wanted to, but you know, just as my duty is just like a writer and trying to put together a story and get color and details, there was this weird kind of feeling like, should I even be here? Like, is this safe? Like we just don't have enough information about this stuff to assume that we're doing healthy things right now we should probably but at the same time you didn't know whether or not you should go home to your family because you're just like well i don't is that the safe thing to do either so it was really like a weird kind of limbo you were in which is why i just kind of just stuck around and said well i might as well do my job i've already been here and i've been you know been here for this long i might as well just stick around and get as much information as i possibly can but yeah it was weird it, it was it was a lot of not knowing what the right thing was to do. Definitely. So in that moment, you have that thought, like, should I stay here? Uh, did you, or, or any of your colleagues or anybody, did you have that feeling like before you left home to go to the arena? Was there, cause I mean, like you mentioned, the, the Warriors had a, a game postponed. I believe, uh, I think Steph Curry had a, had a scare. He had uh, flu like symptoms. Um, and so there was a worry that maybe he was going to be the first guy in the NBA with COVID and things had started to become a little more real. Like you said, it feels like California's, you know, that's all the way over there. Oregon, Washington, all the way up there. Was there any sort of trepidation about going to the arena that night at all? Or was it just, this is normal, this is what I do, and, and no thought about it? No, no. There, there wasn't a feeling of trepidation until, um, you know, the game got delayed in the beginning. That's when you started to feel like, okay, this is weird. This isn't normal. But everything was normal up to that point. Even... You know, even them implementing the social distancing policy that we couldn't go in the um, 
in the locker room and when we did post game it was in a podium setting where the players had to be you know sitting at the table at the podium and we had to be um far away it, it nothing felt threatening up to that point um it just felt like you know this was precautionary stuff and we were just going to have to adjust and that was cool but then you know once you find out that you know Rudy has covid he tested positive um and that they were canceling the game and the league was immediately shutting down it just felt so scary and real then like you didn't you didn't know if Rudy Gobert was going to be okay or not you didn't know you know how many people he had come in contact with you know a lot of friends and and colleagues in the business had been in contact with Rudy Gobert in the last in the days leading up to that um you know even people started doing contract tech tracing on their own basically it was like the Jazz had been in Boston and they had practiced at this Boston facility uh, in the days leading up to it. And I was in that same Boston facility like the week before because I was on the Thunder's three-game road trip. And that was the last game that the Thunder played was in Boston. So everybody's just got this paranoia trying to like retrace their steps and figure out, man, like I've been around this guy who potentially had COVID. When did he contract it? We don't know what's going on. So the scary part was when the announcement broke that that Rudy had it uh, up to that point everything was pretty standard procedure so you mentioned that that night you know you had the writers all of you guys had free will to to head home to do whatever uh, I think almost everybody from from what I understand and, and reporting and stuff uh, stayed around like you mentioned get the whole story report on it etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, if you don't mind me asking, like, how late did you end up staying at the Chesapeake Energy Arena that night? Like, did you write your story there? Were you around until I think it wasn't it like like midnight or one p.m. Whenever the Jazz team bus finally loaded them up and and took them to a, a new hotel, I believe. Uh, Mayor of Oklahoma City David Holt recently, uh, I, th I think for the first time, said that that night he was working on trying to find a hotel for Utah to even stay in that would take them. Uh, including Rudy. So how late did you stay that night? And, and were you around when the Jazz left? And j just what was the, after the announcement comes, what's the rest of that night like trying to gather information and, and figure out what the hell is going on? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it was, man. It was, um, you know, just a lot of waiting, trying to see, you know, when people were going to show up. And, you know, the funny part was we were waiting for them to come out by the, um, by the door where they usually come out and uh, they ended up going out of like, like a back entrance or something. And um, yeah, the jazz had to change where they were staying because of, you know, just, just fear that the, you know, that that was a compromised hotel. I think they ended up staying at a, at a hotel that's, you know, kind of off of downtown, but you know, maybe like off by Meridian or something like that in Oklahoma city. I think that's what I remember uh, somebody telling me. Um, but it was like, it was not a hotel where NBA players are used to staying. That's that's something that I remember. And I remember hearing that they were staying at this different hotel. And I'm like, ooh, those aren't those probably aren't ideal conditions. But on short notice, um, it, it was really tough because you don't want to compromise another hotel too. Like you had to like basically like isolate these players um, as as well as you possibly could. So it was it was really weird. You know, I was there. Um, you know, pretty late. It, it, it was it was probably a little later than I'm normally there for a game, but you know, you're usually at the arena for a total of probably like seven hours, like set like 
seven, seven and a half hours if you're doing like podcasting and pregame and all that stuff. And it probably ended up being the same amount of time I'm usually at the arena. But the difference was I had never been at the arena that long without actually watching a basketball game. Yeah. <laughs> like I had never. And that makes the time go by a lot faster when you're actually watching a game. But I was just nobody got to watch basketball that night. So it was weird. It was like that time that you're usually watching a game, you were just sitting there working on your story or trying to talk to as many, you know, people as possible to kind of get some color or like sources and, and what was happening behind the scenes. And um, yeah, that was, that was another weird part of it too. It was just so just unorthodox of what you're used to. So was, was that night, that 365 days ago, was that the last time that you can remember being in? Obviously, like you're not in another 18,000 people setting since then, right? But is that the last time that you can remember like being in like, like a moderately large crowd, especially unmasked? Because whenever I think back a year ago, like, and this year feels like it's been forever, right? But I, I mean, I even watch movies now where there's a crowd and I'm like, oh, dude, like, they're all close together, not wearing masks. Like, what the hell are they doing? Do you ever think back to that? And like, is that the last time that you were in a in a crowd, even, um, and, and saw like most people without masks on? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, you know, I don't think that it was an overnight thing in Oklahoma. I don't. I don't want to act like we immediately all fell into line after this Rudy Gobert stuff. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I might have gone to a bar maybe after the game or not not too long after that. Um, you know, it's unfortunate to say, but I don't think people really were initially taking it super serious. Like, it wasn't as super serious as it was on the coast because – you know, initially you'd heard like it, it was it was happening on the East Coast. It was happening um, in the, on the West Coast, major cities on those coasts. But then the Rudy Gobert thing happens and you I think there's still a part of you that thinks that like maybe it's an isolated incident. So like I think I had gone to a I don't I can't remember if I'd gone to a bar or it was that night or, or night after. But I but I I think I had gone to a bar either that week or sometime within that week. Um, but I, I, I can't recall at the top of my head. Yeah. But um, I do recall like in the month probably after that, once the state started, you know, kind of mandating that businesses close um, that weren't essential, like businesses closed that weren't essential, like close a little earlier and, and stuff like that, the streets got quiet. And I was actually really impressed by how people's behaviors changed. Um, I think, you know, in the beginning, those first couple of months, it was it was a lot different in Oklahoma. Uh, I recall, you know, being really surprised at how much people were taking it seriously because I, I remember driving down the street, you know, to get gas or whatever I was doing. And during times where there would normally be a lot of traffic it was just just not that many people out and i was like wow this is like a ghost town but i also think that part of that was weather based and like once the weather started to warm up a little bit you started to slowly see more and more people come out and then you started to see 
a lot of people that weren't taking it seriously. And then once once they started to like kind of increase in terms of people not taking it seriously, that's when I really got serious about my mask use because I was like, okay, there are way too many people out. I'm going to be diligent about this mask stuff because I don't think there are a lot of people who are taking this very seriously. Definitely, yeah. It, it's crazy to think back then that like after – after that game, the, or the game that never happened, that next day was – so I, I teach public school for a living. And the next day was the last day before spring break. And so I rolled into uh, a 6A Oklahoma high school with, you know, 4,000 people in it, everyone there, like, maskless, just hanging out. And I, I think back to that now, and I'm just like, holy crap, man. Like, how wild was that? And so, no, I, I definitely get that. It's Thinking back on it now, just – it feels – so surreal so surreal so then eric to to transition from uh that night uh into today could thinking back then could you ever imagine that after that night the nba would have gone to the bubble and then we would be like where we are today where teams are are fully traveling and and uh you know in away markets and and playing games and and going about business like usual um you know, we're having COVID cases in the league now, but that night just felt like the world collapsed in on itself whenever Rudy tested positive. Now we just get weekly tweets from Woj and Shams that say, you know, three players this week tested positive, and we don't even get, like, the names of those players, in it, and it's just kind of routine. Like, could you ever have foreseen that back then? It it didn't seem – you know, it – yeah, I guess I'd be. I guess I would be lying if I said that it's that I thought it would get to the point that it did. Um, you know, I was on a road trip the week before the shutdown, and you know, I was in public settings, and you know, it seemed like the world was going on as normal. Um, I don't recall, you know, wearing masks when I was out, and you know, shame on me and. I should have been taking it a lot more seriously, but I, a lot of us weren't. And, you know, it sometimes it takes a public event like that for people to really, um, you know, have some perspective and take things more seriously. So I think in a sense, you know, that night was a was important for a lot of people to see and experience because um, it, it gave them kind of a firsthand look at you know, how serious this is. And even if you were watching at home, you know, that was a national TV game. Um, it it came into people's homes. And, it, and I think it kind of changed a lot of people's behaviors and thoughts on, um, on the COVID-19 pandemic. Definitely. So since that day a year ago, not only has obviously the world changed a ton, but the Thunder have changed a ton. So I want to pick your brain a little bit on the Thunder so far this season before we let you go here. Um, and, and I think maybe you have a, a unique kind of perspective now that you don't directly cover the team, even though you used to. So there's still a little bit of ties there. My first question, are you surprised that the Thunder have been as successful as they have been this season? I'm actually not because it's kind of it, it, it's a different cast, but it's kind of the same scenario as last year. Um, obviously, it's not as good of a team as last year because you don't have Chris Paul and Gallinari and Schroeder and Steven Adams. Um, but it was always contingent last year on would they trade these guys? They didn't trade these guys. And it's kind of the same situation this year. Um, the Thunder have 
good players. They have NBA players on their team. Now, they have some guys that I don't think are NBA players, but they have enough guys like your SGAs and um, Al Horford and Hamadou Diallo and, and Dort that have made progress to where if they kept this group together, particularly like veterans like Al Horford and, um, you know, a guy that's just turned into, you know, a borderline all-star in SGA, they were, they were going to be competitive. Uh, they might not win a ton of, a ton of games to be like a, a, a top five or six seed, but they were going to be a competitive team. Um, and just like last season, it's contingent on whether or not Sam Presti trades guys. So we'll see what happens between now and March 25th. Um, you know, whether or not they, they find a place for Horford, they trade George Hill, which seems like George Hill seems like a, a more logical, you know, trade to make because his salary is less than Horford and, you know, he's a perimeter guy that can help some teams that are contenders. Um, but yeah, if they end up keeping all those guys, they're not going to be the worst team in the league. They're not going to be a playoff team, but they're going to, they kind of remind me in a sense of the way that, um, you know, the Mavericks were a few seasons ago when Luka was like a rookie. They weren't good, but they were competitive every night. They were feisty every night. They were a team that I think ended up winning like 33 games or something. Um, and that's a team that I think can be exciting for people while also being bad enough to like give you an opportunity to get a decent, you know, draft pick. So I think the Thunder are kind of getting the best of both worlds. They're getting a team that people are like proud to watch every night, but also isn't like an abomination to basketball the way that like the Knicks have been for like the past five years or like the Lakers were before LeBron got there. Definitely. So if you had to make a guess right now, you know, you said last year was contingent on if they trade those guys, right? This season, yeah. e- even though, like you said, I think it's a team that people can be, fans can be proud of. Uh, it's a team that scraps every night, you know. Yeah, I agree with you. There's maybe not a ton of, like, NBA career guys on this team, but you watch them play, and they play their asses off, off every night. They, they're willing to fist fight anybody. Do you think that they will make a move because right now they're kind of, like you said, they're not a playoff team, but they're not like the worst team in the league. They're kind of in that middle ground where you're not competing for anything, but you're also not really giving yourself the best odds for a top five draft pick. Do you think they're going to swing one way or the other come March 25th? I certainly don't think they're going to be adding anybody of substance. That'll make them a better team. There's just no, there's no upside to that. I mean, they're if they somehow, make if they somehow make the play in they're they're not going to survive i mean maybe they could get hot and 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 win and get into the playoffs but they're not going to get out of the first round i don't think there's really any benefit in doing that the the one caveat to that is regardless of where they finish you know they can they can have, they have the rights to that pick swap with Houston Miami Miami seems like they're going to end up getting a little better Houston, they're not trying to win, so Houston's going to be trash. Um, Houston's pick is top four protected, so you, you got to hope that Houston lands, you know, five or five or higher, so that the Thunder can swap with them. If 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 in some case the Thunder end up with a better record than Houston, which is entirely possible, so I just don't really see the benefit to the Thunder adding anybody. Not to mention, like they. They, they probably need to just go ahead and continue to play the young guys to get them as much experience as possible and figure out what they have with guys like Darius Baisley and Dort and, and Diallo and, 
you know, Pokashevsky and, you know, even a guy like Moses Brown, if they want to call him up from the G League and get him some some repetitions. Um, you know, the playoffs are valuable from the standpoint of, like, guys get playoff experience. It'd be cool if they made the play-in, I think. Um, but they're in a unique situation where, you know, their draft picks are, are, are going to have a chance to, to really, like, get a top five guy in a, in a draft that's really solid. And even if they don't get a top five guy, they can get a guy in the top 10 that could be a rotation player for years to come. So, you know, while, you know, I guess it kind of depends on where the, the, the lottery lands and what Houston ends up doing and, and what the Thunder end up doing too. But yeah, they, they probably need to be sellers. Uh, guys like George Hill and Al Horford deserve an opportunity to go play for teams that are playing for something. I don't think that the Horford contract is going to be super easy to move. So that might need to be something that happens in the summer when you've kind of, you know, gotten a little bit of that salary off the books. Uh, but George Hill, I, I, I just can't anticipate him being on the team after the trade deadline. Definitely. So let's say by, by some miracle, the Thunder, uh, you know, stay at where they're at now, about seventh, eighth worst record in the league, but they hit the draft lottery. They end up with a top five pick. For argument's sake, let's say uh, it's number two because we know Cade's number one, right? Like that's There's no discussion there. Cade is number one. Let's say they end up with pick number two. Who is your ideal guy for the Thunder to draft at pick number two? No, I really like um, Kuminga um, with the with the ignite. I think he's just. I think the the floor on him is really high, and I think there's still you know number one guy upside with him. He's got a great body, great athleticism. I think I think he plays with a control um, and a pace that I really like for a guy who's that young. Um, he seems like to me, he's got a better athleticism than Cade. Now Cade might have another level. I think that, you know, if he gets into like an NBA program and he works on his body a little bit, I think that, you know, he might have another tick of athleticism to go to. Um, but if Cade's not there, I really like the idea of taking a Kuminga, um, as opposed to a guy like Evan Mobley. I know Evan Mobley's projected as like number two pick because he's a really you know, skilled big man. Um, I just always have my apprehensions about drafting a big man super high. I'd rather go with like the, the wing kind of hybrid 3-4 guy. Um, I don't know anything about Kaminga's defense or if he's a good defender, but just the way that he operates on offense, I've been super impressed by what I've seen from him. So he'd probably be the guy I'd go with at two as opposed to the big um, the Thunder are going to have plenty of opportunities to get, you know, skilled big men, um, in the next few years with all the draft picks they have, whether they do it via trade or whether they do it via the draft. I just don't think you get many opportunities to get, you know, wing players, um, the caliber of a, of a guy like Kaminga. He, he seems like he's pretty special for his age. Definitely. You're, you're speaking my language. Exactly. Eric, I've, I've harped on the same thing. I'm, very weary of anybody taking a big man really high in the draft when you have others available. And yeah, I mean, Kaminga's measurements, like they line up with Kawhi Leonard. They line up with guys like Paul George. Like those are the guys that run the NBA. It's 2021, right? It's not like 1995 anymore where you, where you get uh, a big guy. And so I think we're on the same page there. So awesome. Well, Eric, I promise you 30 minutes. We are right at 30 minutes. So we'll get you out of here. But again, thank you so much for jumping on with me, man. I really appreciate you. 
Uh, do you want to plug where people can uh, – I know you're not doing a whole lot of writing anymore as you're not on the beat, but at least where people can uh, can find your tweets and whatnot. Yeah, Eric, uh, E-R-I-K, and then the letter K and H-O-R-N-E. Uh, that's my Twitter handle, so it's Eric K Horn. Um, every now and then I tweet some things and people laugh or think that I'm ridiculous, but – I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm not as invested in the Thunder as I used to be. I kind of just watch everything right right now. I'm watching Grizzlies and Wizards and uh, uh, kind of canvas the league more as a whole right now so I can kind of help out our breaking news team. Um, but always have an eye on the Thunder and what's going on. I, I think that they've got a obviously a, a bright future because I think Sam Presti is one of the best at doing what he does. And Mark Dagnall, man, I think people should be excited about him. I think he's a guy who kind of understands the tenets of modern basketball. And I think he's got some, some good young pieces to work with. So, you know, the, the Thunder should, Thunder fans should be very optimistic about where the team's going. I agree. Yeah. Mark Dagnall now the youngest coach in the NBA after the firing of uh, Saunders, I believe. So uh... <laughs> Ryan Saunders is younger than I, frankly, I think Mark Dagnall might be younger than I am. I'm 35 and he's around that range. So, um, yeah, quick quick Ryan Saunders story. Um, his first game coaching, I think, was in Oklahoma City. And I remember seeing him in the scrum, and I was happy for the guy because Flip's son, and, you know, he'd get an opportunity to do the thing. But he did not look like a guy who would give you confidence if he was uh, in the huddle or in the locker room. Uh, he, looked, he looked very very scared of what was about to come and look he was probably like 32 or something when that happened i was like i was like if i had an nba team at 32 i'd be scared too so it was there's there's vets on that team older than the coach i mean because i'm right in that same boat right i'm i'm uh about to be 31 and so so i'm in that same boat but yeah i mean there's vets in that locker room that are older than you that you're trying to tell what to do i just i think that would be very uncomfortable and awkward so i uh i don't know if i can blame him too much there yeah, I feel like uh, he probably got walked walked over in some in some instances, and uh, you know the Minnesota didn't help him, man. Their roster's trash, so it's uh... yeah. And <laughs> he did coach James Johnson, who might have been older than him or the same age, and is like one of the premier badasses in the NBA with a black belt. Like, if he misses a rotation, I'm not yelling at that guy, <laughs> right? Like, if you miss the rotation, bro, you miss the rotation. Like, I'm just gonna yell at you to hustle and tell you good job or something i'm i'm not i'm not touching that at all so yeah yeah it's uh it, it's a tough situation for a guy in his early 30s to be in man it's uh you got to be pretty special as a coach you got to be you got to be the brad stevens types you got to be you know hopefully what dagnall is, is showing you got to be kind of like that but but dagnall had a lot more experience than than even ryan saunders when he got into that job he had coached g league team for several years um, he had been a part of, you know, the Thunders, a lot of Thunder processes, their summer league team he coached. He, he'd been, you know, part of their draft process. He's done a lot of stuff. And I don't think Ryan Saunders had that experience. So um, that's a, that's a tough ask. Yeah, for sure. On the biggest stage uh, that you can possibly be on, you're at the pinnacle of your career. So I, yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, Eric, man, we appreciate you. Uh, if our followers for some reason don't already follow you, uh, make sure you guys go and do so. Um, and Eric, keep uh, keep it up over at The Athletic. Uh, I know we don't get to read your your personal writing anymore, but you're doing a lot of editing and stuff. And so 
that's awesome and uh and take it easy man hey hey thanks for having me i appreciate it before we get you guys over to the second half of the podcast i wanted to take a quick minute and tell you about brooklyn life is too short to sleep between anything else than really nice sheets but maybe you've looked at some retailers and calculated the years of interest you're gonna have to pay for nice sheets and you just gave up well trust me you need to go check out brooklyn they have over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting, so they're confident you'll love their products. They even offer 365-day money-back guarantee. They have a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, materials, anything to fit your need and taste. They also have so much more than just bedding. They've got comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear, and more. All you need to do is go to brooklinen.com and use the promo code UNCONTESTED, the title of our podcast, to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more. Plus, you get free shipping. That's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and use the promo code UNCONTESTED to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more. Make sure to check out Brooklinen. And now, let's get you over to Taylor and Nick's discussion on the second half of the Thunder season. We are live on Locker Room. If you guys haven't already, uh, we've been talking about this a lot on recent podcasts, on our social media channels. Be sure to tune in to Locker Room. We've been having a lot of fun, especially post-games, uh, doing post-games live on your game to interact with you all, bring you up on stage. Uh, right now, it's just going to be Sean jumping on stage with us <laughs> here in a little while. We're excited to... to get with you all and uh, get to talk with you all actually and interact with you all a little more today's a little different um, because you know during the all-star break obviously the thunder haven't had any games so we haven't been doing post games on here so instead to kind of supplement give you guys some content and also to interact with you on all on locker room uh, we have decided to do a couple of these uh, locker rooms just to continue to interact take some questions from you all and then today i kind of have some things i want to go, uh, go into before uh, we're recording this on wednesday evening the thunder play tomorrow on thursday and kick off what we're calling the second half of the season even if it's not exact um, but essentially the last part of this season here and so i thought it'd be a good idea to dive into some some themes and some some things that i just been thinking of uh, i'm joined by none other than one of my co-hosts very best friends since like grade school nick crane my first time on a locker room i guess that makes me uh i don't know what we call it around here the a locker roomy uh what's <laughs> what's what's the lingo this is a new app locker roomy time, so. <laughs> locker room virgin i don't know I, I, yeah that that is fair um i'm a little upset though because like earlier it used to let me invite all those i was following now it's just letting me invite my followers that's boring. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, uh, I thought it'd be fun, Nick, to, to dive into some themes. Like, uh, like during the All-Star break, it's so weird. Like during the season, you know, I'm watching all the Thunder games. I'm, I'm going back and watching highlights. I'm, I'm trying to break down and <clears throat> do some analysis. And it seems like, you know, following, podcasting, talking about the Thunder full time, it almost makes it hard to like follow other teams. But then we have a week or two, like the past week or so, with no games at all. And I'm just like, wow, I'm so bored. What should I do? Like, what, what should I watch? It's really funny how that works. And I think the second half of the season, I mean, it picks up into full swing. Uh, not a whole lot of rest for any of these teams, particularly with some of those uh, delays and postponements from the first half of the season. 
you did yourself a disservice by not spending the last couple of days watching uh, draft prospect. That's kind of what I did. Yeah, true. Um, exactly. I, after, I did as well. After the All-Star game, just watching some uh, some different prospects. A lot of the guys in the top five, I feel like we've, we've all seen a lot on. So I've tried branching out to some other guys. Um, start there you go. About, you know. In the unfortunate circumstance, the Thunder don't end up with, you know, one or two top five picks. I guess Houston's would have to be five exactly. Um, there's a good chance that someone in the six to 10 or 12 range will be a member of the Thunder next season. So that's a, um, yeah, that's a yeah, really good was, point. Or, I mean, there's a scenario where the Thunder not only get one of those top five picks, but also end up with a guy in the range that you're talking about as well, which would just be like, I don't want to say dream scenario. That's so overused, but <laughs> pretty, pretty ideal. Um, but I'm with you. Like last night I watched um, obviously Jalen Suggs just go off at the very end of the game to, um, <laughs> to pull away from BYU after BYU was really in control of the majority of that game, shooting like 70% from three, I think in the first half, which was wild. But who's that, who's that teammate of Suggs? Um, I'm going blank Kisper. Now. Super good three-point shooter. Who? Kisper. Yeah, Kisper. I like him. I like him a lot. I think he's going to be a solid uh, NBA role player for kind of reminds me of like a uh, Nysmith or um, Sadiq Bay kind of, well, maybe not Sadiq Bay. Well, I'm glad, but... I'm glad you said role player because there's a lot of people that have him mocked like eight, nine, ten, And I'm like, eh, is he really uh, going to be that kind of franchise chasing player? I that's what's going to so. be so interesting. It's he's like, a, he's a senior too. I'd rather I could have see, a guy that's yeah. Right, right, right. And I, that's a good point. I think, this is going to be a really interesting draft to look back upon because I think, you know, obviously your, your top five picks, top six, seven picks. Um, sure. There may be a guy that kind of is a, a little bit of a bust or doesn't meet expectations, but it's also going to be interesting in such a strong draft and seeing teams who prioritize guys like that, right? Some of the older guys are more of a role type player compared to some of these other guys will go later on in the draft as late as like the, the end of the first round into the second round. who could potentially be almost if, I don't want to say as good, but almost as good as some of these top five, six, seven guys that we're talking about. Yep. No, no question. Sorry to take us down the rabbit hole of the draft. I know that's not what we're here to talk about. We're talk about <laughs> but soon enough, actually speaking <laughs> of locker room, just to, to quickly mention, uh, we will absolutely be doing some draft breakdowns, prospect breakdowns and stuff in the future here on the locker room app. Um, so stay tuned because uh, we'd, we'd love to pick your guys' brain as well. Uh, you listeners uh, coming up here on the stage and tell us about prospects that you would love to see OKC draft, even outside of the big names. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But Nick, I have some themes I want to talk about for, I'm going to keep calling it the second half of the season, even though like I mentioned my disclaimer at the beginning of the, the, the locker room hangout, uh, it's not necessarily like the halfway point, um, a little past that, but here are some things I'm looking forward to. Um, and I think the biggest one, it's just something that's been on my mind a lot recently because we're getting closer and closer to this time of the year, the NBA trade deadline. And I highly expect the Thunder to be involved in it in some way or the other. So some questions that have like been running through my mind, I mean, all season, but even more so over this past all-star break with no basketball games on, who gets traded? What does the market look like? Just overall, and then also for OKC, um, does Presti sell you know, as many of, of the guys as he can that gain interest on the trade market? Or does he want to wait and kind of hold off into the offseason like we kind of saw last season with some guys that we expected to be traded? And then I have some predictions and stuff, uh, but I'll wait, you know, just uh, you generally 
what are you expecting from this this um, this trade deadline for both OKC and maybe start like NBA as a whole when you start to see trans or you think transactions will begin, uh, we were you know uh, trade talks start to begin, and then just for specifically for OKC, kind of what you're expecting when you think maybe Presley starts to pull the tr- the trigger on some of these. Do we hear any rumors, <laughs> or do we not hear any rumors involving OKC up until like the trade deadline? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting market because as we've already seen, and I think we'll continue to see, the the buyout market, if you look over the past like four or five years, has only gotten better as the years go on. I feel like if you look back at like 2015, the buyout market was a thing. It wasn't a huge deal. You could get you know an extra piece here and there. Um, even last year, you saw guys that were you know pretty big pieces, like like Reggie Jackson type guys. I know gets a lot of slander on social media, but that's a solid backup point guard that you're getting for free. And now you're looking at at players um, like Blake Griffin getting bought out and going to join a team for absolutely nothing. I think, I don't think you're going to see a bunch of Blake Griffin type guys getting bought out, but there's enough guys that are going to be bought out that I think it might weaken the trade market a little bit. Um, But then you, then you also look at some of the guys that are sitting at home right now. You just saw Ursan Ilyasova get signed you think about a guy in Oklahoma City like Mike Muscala, how much better is Muscala than someone like Ursan Eliasov? I think I'd prefer Muscala, but when it comes to signing a guy that costs you nothing versus trading maybe a second-round pick for Muscala, it's going to make the the market super interesting. So I think the guys that end up getting bought out, Drummond's a big domino to fall. Um, it's going to be... I think it's going to be a trade deadline unlike any other, especially considering the shortened season. And there's probably 24 teams that are gunning for playoff spots right now. And usually at this point, it's more like uh, you know 18 to 20. Most of the teams towards the bottom are already out. But with the play-in tournament, who knows? There could be teams like the Kings who, quite frankly, shouldn't be gunning for the playoffs. They should be going for another top pick, but probably will be making moves to push Okay, there we go. So sorry, it, it did the same thing that locker room did the same thing that I did here uh, about a week and a half ago, where I like switched over to a different uh, window on my phone to look at something else, and then uh, or like reading my notes and then jump back into the locker room app and it kicked me out of the room on the app. Um, anyways, I think I found a way around it to, to fix it to where my audio is coming back through my computer. I think you need so to take good. some old school notes on the old pen and paper. Yeah, no, no kidding. I can't do my, my, um, I'm just like, you know, when you can scroll up on your iPhone and you like can see the, you can kind of preview your different windows that you have open oh, yeah. or, or tabs or whatever you want to call them. So uh, that's how I'm going to be getting through these notes now, I guess. So I don't have to mess up the audio again. Oh, I'm a, I'm <laughs> an, I'm an abuser of the like iPhone notes, whether it's like Me writing too. stories, like before I write a story, I always like um, doing your outlines on there outlines or like work related stuff or like like grocery lists. Totally. Yep. So I'm, I'm kind of with you. It, and something was interesting. Speaking of the locker room app, uh, Keith Smith, a friend of the podcast, and he writes for the Celtics blog and Yahoo and a bunch of freelance stuff right now. Um, but he has been doing his question and answers on locker room uh, or doing some Q&As on locker room. And so I joined in here on last Friday um, prior to the All-Star game. And I was asking him, I was like, what is your thoughts on activity leading up to the trade deadline? Do you think we're going to start, you know, it, it's a very unique situation, like Jacob has mentioned, our, our co-host, um, with a lot of teams, you know, it, it talking, or a lot of GMs talking over the All-Star break and not having day-to-day basketball operations to deal with. It's when a lot of trade activity 
uh, a lot of trade talks start to heat up some. Um, you know, a good example of that, I think, is it's all of a sudden pop comes out today uh, and his presser mentions that well, Marcus Aldridge is not going to be with the Spurs much longer, <laughs> right? Because obviously Buford and others were on the phone, working the phones for, for trades during the uh, All-Star break. But there's such a big gap between the All-Star break and the, uh, the trade deadline coming up here in a couple weeks that it's kind of unusual for an NBA season. So I asked Keith, do you think we'll see some trades and some action prior to that deadline or what are you hearing? And he said two things. He said there's a group of NBA, I forgot, not executives, um, but people inside front offices who who felt, and this obviously didn't come to fruition, but felt that there would be players who would be traded before players even got back from all-star break. And he said the reason is because of that compressed time frame in the second half of the season. Um, these teams are going to want to get these players in as soon as possible for those first like day or two of practices before they go up and play a basketball game. Instead of just bringing a guy on and not getting really practice with them the second half of the season. Um, so I thought that was interesting. We haven't really seen that. I think the closest we we've gotten to that is just the rumors from about Lamarcus Aldridge. Um, but all that to say, uh, he said there's a, another another group of. of uh, insiders and front office executives who believe um, that this will be a deadline that kind of comes down to the very end just due to the lack of sellers. Like we mentioned, OKC is kind of in that position, which I think is a good transition here, you know, where they can kind of capitalize on some of these guys. So I'm really interested, Nick, like, do you think Presti sells off Muskie, um, George Hill, Al Horford, um, you know, as many of the vets as he gets offers on? Or do you think it's kind of a thing where, Maybe he trades off one of the dimension, but kind of keeps some of the other guys around for this last part of the season. I think if we know Presti, and I know this is a very different season, it's probably the first season since the inaugural um, season that Oklahoma City is not gunning for the playoffs. Um, so his, his mindset could be a little bit different, but he is a big time. If I don't love the offer, I'm not taking it. I don't see him settling for. Um, something that he doesn't absolutely love. I think some, someone like Mike Muscala, it's pretty apparent like the the amount of value you're going to get for him is not going to be crazy high. So I think almost anybody that's willing to trade any sort of valuable asset, whether that's a second round pick or if that's a you know former you know late twenties first rounder type guy um, that might have some upside, I think he'll definitely pull the trigger on that. But when it comes to Al Horford, when it comes to George Hill, I think he knows, you know, he's got these guys under contract beyond just this season, um, more than likely at least. Um, I think that he's fine holding on to them. We saw this with. Right. Um, this is kind of what I was thinking of, and that's why I wanted to ask you. Yeah, I think, I think, I think he plays the game. I mean, think about this. He has all the leverage. Like you said, there's so many buyers and not that many sellers that if, if you're not blowing Presty away with offers, he says, fine, I'm going to hold on to them. And guess what? You're not getting any better. And if you're in the East, you're not going to be as talented as the Nets. If you're in the West, you're not going to be as talented as the Lakers. So be it. And then people will start giving better offers. I think mm -hmm. Presti holds all the leverage. So the the long story short, um, I think he he plays he plays his leverage like he always does. And he, he doesn't make a move unless he absolutely loves it. I'm with you. And I think that... I, I, Presley's going to be active. I think there are going to be players traded. I don't think like all three of those names are like the most likely candidates are going to be traded for OKC. So another good transition here. I have some predictions for who I think is going to get traded. And I have like one of my biggest wild cards. Uh, I think there's quite a few wild cards on this team that could be potential trade candidates, but I have one that stands out above the rest. Let's hear I'm it. curious to get your thoughts on it. So my predicted players, George Hill, 
and Mike Muscala. Uh, and just to your point earlier, Nick, I, I think Horford is going to be kind of in the Chris Paul situation last season where Presley doesn't get the right offer. He's not going to pull the trigger and he's going to wait until the off season when Horford has one less deal on his contract um, or one less deal, one less year on his contract. It's a little more tradable, uh, has, holds a little more value. Uh, and also can be around to kind of help these guys in the second half of the season, especially if he trades uh, or uh, does trade Muscala, like I have my prediction. So George Hill and Mike Muscala are the two that I think will get traded because like you said, I think there are going to be some teams that could use Mike Muscala, uh, some contenders who would really be interested in him for him to play a role uh, on a playoff push or a championship push. Uh, but my wild card, Nick, we've, we've talked a lot in the past on this podcast, as other Thunder podcasts have, about Presti when it comes to uh, extensions, right? Contract extensions and restricted free agency. He typically does not like to let players that he wants go into restricted free agency, except Enos Cantor. Enos Cantor, that, that one season, uh, he signed that deal with the Blazers and Presti and the Thunder went ahead and matched. But overall, it, it's especially with young players, it's pretty rare for him to let them get to restricted free agency. Well, Hamadou Diallo is going to be a restricted free agent. And you know how much I love Hami. I was, you know, a little down on him last season. We're going to forget that happened. This season, I'm all the way back. Uh, but I would not be surprised. I think Hamadou Diallo is a player who could gain a lot of interest on the trade market. And if Pressy doesn't view Hami as a long-term piece, more of a just short-term piece and continue to develop him and see what he becomes. Like if the right offer comes around, I would not be completely shocked for Hami to get traded. Yeah. So the thing with Hami is there, there's two things with him. I, I totally see where you're coming from. He's a, he's an attractive player. He's obviously a bench spark. There's two things that make it really hard. One being his contract. He only makes right. about 1.6 a year. He'd have to be thrown in. It'd have to be a bigger trade. Right. And that, that was that was point two. If, if Hamadou Diallo is going to be on the move, he is going to be sweetener of some sort, whether that's trading Al Horford for some assets and Hamadou Diallo is like a sweetener in the deal. I could certainly see that if it's the right deal. That would have to be a hell of a deal if if Right. Presti's in return for Pressy. And, um, and in return for the Thunder, yep. But but on the, on the same note, like, just like with a lot of these guys that are former second rounders or former late first, the team that they've been playing for their entire career is going to value them higher than any other team around the league. We saw that with, we had a poll on Twitter a while back that was like, if you, would you trade? Nick loves a good Twitter would poll. You, would you trade Darius <laughs> yeah. Baisley for Harry Giles straight up, right? And I think most most people that can take an unbiased view would say, yeah, I'm sorry, not Harry Giles, Marvin Bagley. Marvin most, Bagley. Mo- most people would say, yeah, Marvin Bagley has a really injury riddled career for the first couple of years, but his upside is extremely high. Obviously he was a, like, I think a number two pick. Right. Um, but they, Over Luca. Right. But Thunder, <laughs> Thunder fans were like, heck no, we're not trading Baisley. And Kings fans were like, heck no, heck we're, no, not, we're trading not trading Bagley. Bagley. Right. That, that's just the, the telltale that not only fans, but also the front office, like guys that you watch on every single night. That's a good guys point. Guys that you see and practice every day and what they These scouts do. and these front offices, they, they want to see their guys develop. They want to have their success stories. They want their, their Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrooks that, that um, I think Kevin Durant's a bad example because everybody kind of knew it coming into the league. But like Russell Westbrook and the Jeremy Grant, the success, success stories, even though Jeremy Grant was not uh, not drafted or even, by Presti. Even like, even like Presti had a, a press conference this summer before the season started, and he was asked about when he first, when he first saw Shea practice when he was traded yep. from the Clippers. And he said within the first 
10 minutes of practice, he saw Shea doing things that, quite frankly, he had no clue that he that had he in his bag before trading for him. And that's exactly why there, I guarantee you, there's things that Hami probably doesn't practice that the coaching staff and the front office, are which is why he got in. some of that preference last season, right? Totally, totally. That we were kind of dumbfounded by. We we're like, why are you not letting like, like Nader, for example, really kind of got it going there uh, during the middle of last year, last season. Right. And we were kind of clamoring for him to get some of those Hamadou Diallo minutes when Hami was really struggling. Um, this is when he was not injured. And um, you're right. I think there's kind of a pride of ownership thing there. I mean, I was listening to the Thunder's official podcast. I forget what it's called, like OKC. I don't know. Um, with Nick Gallo and Paris, I think Larson, Lawson. Um, anyways, they were talking to um, – gosh, I, I'm just completely butchering this because I can't remember any of these guys' names. But uh, the VP of basketball operations. And basically, they were, they were one of the things they talked about was Poku and scouting him internationally. And they were like, well, you know, Poku's a guy we've been watching for years. You know, we were watching him in these small gyms, you know, overseas and um, in Serbia and um, and Greece. And, he, you know, we, we've been excited about him for a long time. And I think you're exactly right. So, like, a guy like Poku maybe holds more value to guys like Sam Presti and the OKC organization compared to maybe some of the others who were looking at him um, in the draft. So that's a good point. There's a lot of things that are going to, uh, you know, be factors, I think, into this upcoming trade deadline. But, Nick, who are your guys you think are most likely to get traded for OKC? I think Muscala is an easy one. I mean, I, I, as good as he is for Oklahoma City, I think he'll, regardless of if, if he were to be traded, probably be a contender. He's not going to have the same role or even close. Um, that being said, I still think he brings value to a team that would give up like a second rounder for him. Um, I think he's an easy one if a team calls with, with really anything. Um, I think he would like to play for a contender, and he's a, he's a good option. Yeah. Al Horford, I don't think is going to be tradable, and it's weird. To, it's weird to say this. I thought about this today. Lamarcus Aldridge is an expiring contract, which I think makes him less attractive because if you're making a move for him, it's an all-in move for this year. Whereas Al Horford is a longer-term contract that's big, and it also makes it unattractive. So I think when you meet that middle ground, if you hold on to Al until next year where it's like if you trade for him, you get him the remainder of this year. He's not walking in free agency. He's not a rental. I think it makes him extra attractive. I don't think he's going to go. That's um, a good point. George, so, Hill, I, George Hill, I think, is a, is a maybe. It's, it's, that's, that's the, the, the key Well, he's still out, right, about. with that thumb injury. Uh, still, still, today. still in a cast. Um, although I don't think that makes much of a difference. Guys have seen him play for a long time. He was a – a six-man-of-the-year candidate last year. I think he finished fourth or fifth in voting. They've seen what he did. Led the league in three-point percentage. Yeah, I mean, he's, <laughs> regardless if he's in a cast or not, a team trading for him is, is using him for the playoffs. So I don't think I I'm with you. Uh, so that's a, another really good transition here because one of the themes that I'm going to be looking for, Nick, is after the trade deadline to end the season, if Al Horford is still on this team, if George Hill is still on this team, how does Dagnall manage that? How did the Thunder manage that? So, like, playing time priorities versus, like, resting players, do we see quite a bit less of Al Horford than we saw in the first half of the season if he's still on the roster? Um, do we see more games where they, they rest Al Horford and George Hill if he's still here, Mike Muscala? You know, how do you think they're going to balance that? Do we see, like, a lot more Poku minutes or Moses Brown minutes? What do you think? Because – Dagnon, you know, like you said, Barry Trammell came out swinging today <laughs> in media availability when he pretty much asked Dagnon, he was like, look, you guys seem to be winning too much to get the kind of pick that you're wanting to. Um, 
what do you think about that, basically? And Dagnall acknowledged it. He was like, look, I understand the long-term plans of this franchise and this organization. So it's obviously a thing that's on Dagnall's mind. He did you know, continue to say the right things, like, but we're going to always play hard and, and instill a culture and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think Dagnall and the, the organization will do if some of these guys are still on the, the team post-deadline? Yeah, Dagnall's a system guy. Um, anytime you ask him about, you know, how do you how do you like your shot selection? How do you like the play of so-and-so? It's never a game-by-game game thing. It's like a, this is the system we've built. Um, we're going to keep practicing that system and the results of that system, whether they work or not they will at some point. And that's, that's kind of the way he thinks. Um, so that, that's kind of how he answered that question. I, so whenever you at the top of the show talked about thunder themes, the second half, this is the one that, that I've been thinking about most, right? You've got Poku back. Mm-hmm. You've got, you got Moses back. You even got guys like Josh Hall back. And with the new Ty Jerome, Ty Jerome. Uh, who really only played a couple games up there before right. the all-star break. Right. It's, it's, it's fascinating. The lineup because when you saw the Thunder get in this, I don't want to call it a groove because they certainly weren't in a groove, but they won quite a few games. Well, they, they found an identity and right. they, they found chemistry when and they the kind of bubble started. Yeah, they started peaking because the, the roster was smaller, rotations were defined, guys knew what they exactly. were. That's going to be blown. The it's almost up. like the start, of the, not the start of the season again, but you're exactly, you know what? Shay made the analogy and not from this standpoint, but again, in the media availability, he made the analogy of coming back from winter break. He meant it in terms of seeing his friends and getting to hang out with them again. Right. But you could also apply it to this situation, Nick, like coming back from winter break, you have a lot more players now. Um, so you kind of have to find some of that all over again. It's not going to be like it was right after the all-star break. Like for example, Justin Jackson is a guy like that getting a bunch of minutes when you have Poku back, or even when you have, um, even if they don't play the same position, when you have, uh, why am I going blank? Ty Jerome back, (laughs) you know, like how do you manage all that? Yeah, it's going to be a mixed bag. I think there's going to be a lot of time spent trying to figure that out. I I don't think there's going to be a concerted effort if like, Alan George are still on this team post trade deadline. I don't think there's going to be a concerted effort to like not play those guys as many minutes. Like at the end of the day, we know that Presti values players as people and want them to be happy. They're not just just going to not play those guys. But I do think that on the flip side, he does value development. So guys that are kind of tweeners, not those veterans that have value, but not young guys like, like a Justin Jackson, I don't know how many more minutes he gets this season, to yeah, be honest. That's kind of went on my, yeah, that's what I'm wondering also. Um, so another one that I have here, SGA. I mean, obviously, which is probably like the main theme of the first half of the season that we were super excited about, um, one that we were talking about almost on a daily basis, on a game-to-game basis after each game. He, just for some stats, 23.2 points per game, five rebounds, six assists per game, only 2.9 turnovers while leading the league in drives. (laughs) And obviously with the highest usage on the Thunder, he's shooting 57.7 field goal efficiency, 62.7% true shooting, 55% out of drives, and he leads the league in unassisted twos. Obviously not getting a ton of help uh, from that standpoint uh, with, with his teammates creating shots and creating for him just still putting up monster numbers, especially there heading into the all-star game. What do you think SGA does the second half of the season? Is it just kind of a lot of the same? Does he improve? Is he rested? Is he like rested more 
from a organizational standpoint, do we see him sitting or, or maybe not sitting because they wouldn't do, Shea wouldn't go for that, but maybe not playing as many minutes per game uh, towards the end of the season, kind of getting him ready for the season after what, what do you think? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, development for a raw guy like Poku is just as important as it is for a guy like SGA. Um, when it comes to what I expect from him to be quite honest, this is not saying by any means he's reached his ceiling, but I don't know how much better you can get from that. First with, like with this situation that right. he's in with these teammates. Exactly. His, his efficiency. I mean, there's, there's <laughs> doesn't get much more efficient. <laughs> there's, there's literally like two guys in the league that are as efficient as him at the volume that he shoots these shots at and the amount of points that he's putting up. It's and the, and the amount of assists and rebounds. Like when you look at the total package of what he's producing on a nightly basis, like he is elite. Right, right. And it's almost like, and I'm kind of with you, it's almost up to the organization uh, at this point to kind of help him uh, reach new levels. And, and that involves putting different players around him, continue to build a team around him for the future. I think I'm with you there. That's a really good point. So obviously, Shea is going to be a focal point of that second half of the season. But there's some other guys as well. Baisley is a guy we, we've talked a lot about. High expectations heading into this season, but very inconsistent. You know, he started the season with just like, what was it? It was a ridiculous amount. Um, it was like three of the first however many games, like five games, he had a double-double. Then there was an even better stat, like the first 10 games, I think. And then he just kind of took a dip. Um, very inconsistent season from Baisley. We kind of saw him shake out of a slump there before the All-Star break. Uh, and then just kind of have some games where he just was fine before we went on pause. What do you think we see from Baisley, and can he find that consistency? I still think he's playing the wrong position. We, we, we talk about this a lot. I think he's a small forward. Um, he plays a lot of power forward. He's, or a positionless forward. Right, right, like, right. But, but more, I mean, even though the game is positionless, there's a difference between, like, that's the four fair. that plays inside versus the four, the four that plays, like, the wing or the three that plays the wing. I think a lot of it's confidence with him. Um, Dagnall, when he talks about Bays, is very – very, very careful. He says Bays is better than when we drafted him. Bays is better than when the season started. Bays is better than yesterday. So, like, he always talks about developments, not linear. He's he's very up and down um, on a, literally a night-to-night basis. Um, so, I don't it's, – it's really hard to say what you expect from that. I would say for, for Thunder fans, pull your expectations low for Baisley, and that's not to say that he's not going to be a good player. Um, just keep in mind his age. He skipped college, had the gap year. He had next to zero role last year uh, until the bubble. He played a few a few games with big minutes. He's starting this year. It's a huge jump, and, and guys like guys like Shea have no problem making those types of jumps when they're thrown into a new role. But the the, the average NBA player does. I think Fair. Baisley, especially Baisley, when you're a focal point too. That's something we talked about. Like teams are literally scheming for him and, and watching film on him and preparing for him each game now, rather than him just being like, oh, like last season, you know, oh, the, and then there's this rookie that comes off the bench and plays pa- backup power forward minutes, and he comes out the bubble and looks great. You know, it, it's much different for him this season. Yeah. So, so gauge gauge Baisley not on how he's doing this season as like. If this this is the Baisley that that we're expecting to be the starter for the next decade, and more about the little things. Is he is his shooting stroke confident? Is his ball handling, um, you know, acceptable without turning it over? Is he rebounding at a high rate? Is he putting on muscle? Those are the types of small things you True. should be watching for. I agree. I agree with you. 
Um, so I tweeted out for guests, see if more people come in and, and want to answer questions because we're about to get to that. We're kind of to the point now. I have a couple more points. So uh, if you guys want to come on, if you have any other themes uh, that we haven't discussed yet that you you want our opinion on and just want to talk about and discuss or any of the themes that we already have talked about that you have something you want to add on to or dispute or whatever it is, that's what Locker Room is for. So uh, start sending the request, the speaker request in, and uh, we will accept uh, and, and looking forward to talk to you guys. Um, so as we, as we wait on that, Nick, the next one I have here, um, the young Thunder players, I mean, obviously basically falls into that category. I kind of felt like he deserved his own theme. But which young Thunder player takes what I'm calling the Lou Dort leap? Because in the second, yeah, I, I, you can call it the second half of the season last year, but it was really the bubble. But even prior to that, right, like heading into March about this time last year, Lou was really taking that that leap post-All-Star and you have to keep in mind, way back in the day, a.k.a. Uh, last year, <laughs> the All-Star break was in February. So we kind of saw Lou, you know, starting for this team, playing really well. And that just continued into the bubble and to the offseason and to what we know Lou as of now. Uh, and he's continuing continuing to improve. So there's a bunch of young guys. I mean, I mentioned Baisley. You yeah, have Poku, um, Moses Brown who tore up the G League. You know, Teo, um, Ty Jerome, Roby, Homie. Which of these guys in the second half of the season do you think is a big candidate to make the the Lou Dort leap like we saw last season? Um, I'm going to go with Teo just because if George Hill is traded, he's the permanent starter. Um, I think as good as Ty Jerome is, I don't know if he's going to play well enough to take that starting shooting guard spot. I think I think if he were healthy to start the season – this is weird to say, rather than Teo getting all these starts with, with uh, George Hill being out, we might be seeing Ty Jerome doing that. Um, I think, I guess, I guess I'll, I'll put both of those guys in that category, Ty Jerome and Teo. I like that. The two guys that just, just given the opportunity are going to be guys. I don't think they're going to make the leap that Lou did. Cause that is that, absolutely right, absurd, right. but guys that you will at the end of the season, you're going to look at this team. I'm not saying contribute to wins because I don't expect a ton of wins the rest of the season, but guys that you're going to look at on this roster and say, these two guys were difference makers and impact players on this Thunder team that, that before the season, probably none of us thought would be the case. Yeah. Yep. No, Teo is my leading one as well. Uh, I think that's probably the most popular. I mean, shoot, you go on to, uh, I just got Nick into NBA top shot guys. Um, oh, Lord. But you go to the, yeah, yeah. So you go to the rising stars package, right? And granted all these were rare moments. So they're all going to sell for pretty high regardless of the player. But Teo's up there with some of the, like, you know, some of the biggest rising stars um, in a sense. He's certainly not the lowest by any means. I think somebody in the Boomtown discord just said he's up to like, 500 and something now, um, which he was at like 400 earlier today. So on the rise, um, all that to say, I, I think I'm with you. Tay is a popular one, but this is a guy that I mentioned as a trade candidate, kind of my dark horse, Hamadou Diallo. If he is with this team in the Can second half of the season, and you do see a George Hill. I, I, I kind of wonder, I think we just see it more. I think he gets more playing time. If there's some trades that the perfect situation where for homie, where there are players guards trade away, um, I mean, I don't even know what that would look like. Maybe a George Hill, and then like there's an attachment, another young guard who's added in a trade, and that creates more playing time for Hami. And we just see him continue to be efficient and make the most of all this extra minutes that he's getting. I think there's a case where we could say Hami made a leap and kind of took that leap in the second half of the season. Like you said, not to the Lou Dort uh, standpoint, but anyways, that's kind of my can I my can other I say one team, thing on on Teo? Yeah, because I I just. I'm, I'm picturing this in my head. 
Um, you look at any like rookie of the year ladder, not that Teo deserves any recognition for rookie of the year because he's, he's good. He's not that good. He's not Lanella ball. Um, but you look at a lot of these that have top 10 standings and Teo's not mentioned. You could argue Teo with the role he's been given. He's starter, although it's, it's due to injury. He's starting for a team that has been decent this year at shooting guard. Um, I think he should be like that 10 to 12 range when it comes to rookies that have played the best. He's going to be a guy you're going to be on Twitter three years from now. And there's going to be these national guys that are talking about Teo Maladon having this breakout season, finally making an impact to the thunder. And we're all going to sit there and say, well, those three years before this, that Oklahoma city was not on national TV one time. He's been doing this for years, and he is a guy. That's a that good point. He's got one of those sleeper guys. It's it's it's. Bill Simmons going to mention him on his podcast to Ryan Rosillo in like yes. three years. Like that Taylor Maladon can really play basketball. It's it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like <laughs> a like Taylor Horton Tucker on the Lakers gets credit. He's on the Lakers, right? If he was on the Thunder, no one would even know who he is. That's and a so great when point. When the Thunder are contending again in three to five years, and Teo is a big piece. These, these big national guys are going to be talking about him coming out of nowhere. I just I just want to put that on the record that he's... I like he's not, it. He's not we can call him out on it because we have the receipts now. That's what I'm talking about. All right, somebody... submit some. So we have plenty of people in the room. Somebody say something. Come join us. Come talk some hoops or anything. Need some questions out here. <laughs> Clay Sal says I'm full panic, full panic on the take. Clay, come in. I'm inviting you. Come on, It doesn't Clay. matter what you sound like. It's okay. <laughs> Clay is Clay's a nine one eight boy. Clay's in. What's going on, fellas? First time, long time. Yes, uh, sir. Sitting here, sitting here playing some Fortnite. Long time follower, uh, first time listener. Uh, so uh, yeah, I guess that my my question for the chat is just going to be, I mean, the Rockets are just absolutely abysmal, and there's that NBA conspiracy that they're they might get gifted that first overall pick and we're just going to be completely out on it <laughs> and I'm just full panic mode on the tank so he's talking off the ledge guys that's that's my question <laughs> no you're hey, that, you're that's uh, fair. you're in a boat with a lot of us because since Christian Wood got hurt they've lost 13 straight and and the lottery odds are I don't think anyone's going to be as bad as Minnesota, but like the the worst team, ultimately, I think the the bottom pick they could get is six, I believe, five or six. So as long as the Rockets don't finish like bottom three, I'm pretty confident like the odds are in our favor to get that pick. But no, you're right. Like the before the Harden trade and before Christian Wood went down, it was like perfect. The Rockets were mediocre. It looked like they were going to be finishing like fourth or fifth, and the odds would be in our favor. But now it's like them putting that top four protection was super smart for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a good point. The way that Pressy uh, structured those is incredibly uh, smart to the point, like, you know, I mentioned Bill Simmons, <laughs> but like his podcast, uh, I think it was the mismatch maybe, which is Kevin O'Connor and uh, Chris Vernon. Uh, gosh, there was somebody else too. I'm trying to remember who it was. There's a handful, as uh, Stephen Dolan mentioned this on Twitter, a handful of national uh, media who don't really understand how these picks work because of the way that, that Pressy has structured them and, and so geniusly. I think I just made up that word. Uh, shows how much of a genius I am. Uh, so intelligently, that really is impressive. So, yes, like Clay, the worst that the Rockets do, I do get nervous, um, especially I, I know Christian Wood, it was announced today, is, is getting back into basketball activities, and um, but he still won't play against Sacramento, I, b- I believe, coming up this week. 
Um, even then, I mean, we, I don't want to hang my hat on like the Pelicans getting Zion. Cause that's like, you know, we probably won't see that again, maybe in our lifetimes, the odds were so low, but I, I think there are situations where this can play out where the Thunder still are able to secure a top pick, um, a lottery pick that falls outside of the top four, but it is a little scary, especially when they're talking about trading all the depot and, and yeah, they're, they're, sellers. Players. they're going to trade a depot. They're going to trade PJ Tucker. They're going to trade Eric Gordon. Like I think they're, they're at this point thinking that top four protection is the one thing that can kind of revamp this franchise. And us tanking this is a literal domino in how good we're going to be over the next decade. That's good. Yeah, I'm with you. It's okay, Clay. We, uh, we're just all going to be nervous together until draft lottery night. Hey, if we're all vaccinated and like things are starting to look a little better, uh, we hopefully we get to do a draft lottery watch party. I might be living OKC by then, Nick. That is super weird to think about because you've been in Tulsa slash Owasso for 25 years. A long years time. Mm, oh, yep, basically. Pride, basically, Grand I moved here when I was five. Pride. Ended up, yeah. Ended, uh, ended up going to TU, sticking close by, and uh, ended up working in Tulsa. So, yeah, I'll be, uh, be moving, moving to the city. Hopefully get to cover some games live or something. Come on, Thunder. Let us in. We aren't that embarrassing. Yeah, I think, I think I next year will be, uh, will be full go for for fans in the stands with the vaccinations. I mean, even like like the Texas Rangers here, like baseball is a little different, but um, they've announced full capacity. I think OU football has announced full yeah, capacity. True. So I think next season will be good to go when it comes to fans, and you'll, be, you'll be working right across the street able to walk over. Huh? That's right. Get off work and uh, go watch a Thunder game. I'm ready. I am ready. All right, so we did get some questions in the chat. Some people don't want to talk, and that's understandable. <laughs> but our guy, Dorizen, Dorian, sorry, I was reading his last name too. Uh, Dorian, so if the Rockets get their pick, do we instantly just get ours in the heat? Yup. If it's top four, Rockets retain. And then with the pick swap rules, Oklahoma City gets their own and Miami's. Yep. So that's less than ideal. That's kind of what we were talking about with Clay. Because um, it'll probably fall outside the lottery, oh, realistically. No, I mean, they're, they have a crappy record, and I think they're like fifth or sixth in the East right now because the East is literally like, abysmal when it comes to mm. records. It's like the Celtics won four games straight before the break to get over 500 in their fourth. True, true. I'm with you there. Uh, and then Chill NBA asks, what do you guys realistically see or where do you guys re- realistically see the Thunder being in the next five years? It's a really good question. I think it depends on so so. There's a lot of talk about Presty and all these picks he has. Um, I still think this draft is pivotal. Like if you get two guys in the top seven, it changes the trajectory of the franchise. If you end up getting like OKC six, and then you get the Miami pick at like seventeen, I think it puts you back a year or two. I mean, it's it's a that's a it, that that's it, I agree. Like these next two drafts are really pivotal in predicting where this Thunder organization will be in the next five years. But with that being said, uh, with Sam Presti leading the charge there, obviously, and with just with the abundance of assets that he does have, even if he doesn't land a top five pick in either of these next two drafts, I still feel pretty confident that he's going to be able to surround Shea uh, with a another very complimentary player, um, another um, All Star caliber type player and so five years from now i don't want to say the thunder are like looking honestly maybe like the celtics right now nick 
is that a pretty good like forecast i guess for what where the thunder could be five years from now five seasons from now well taylor it's funny you ask because al horford (laughs) just had an interview with sports illustrated where they were asking about his time in oklahoma city and he directly compared it to his time in boston where he was up and coming as a veteran with guys like jalen brown jason tatum a lot of these guys and he said his role feels very similar being on this young up and coming team. So I think that's a there we go. I like it. I like it. So you heard it here first. Uh, Shay is going to be better than Jalen uh, Brown, and we're going to find our are better than uh, than Tatum here soon. I guess right. <laughs> Let's hope that would be nice. Uh, no kidding. No kidding. Well, that, yeah, I I like that. That's. That's good. So let's say five five seasons from now, the Thunder are on a very similar trajectory as the Boston Celtics. But maybe if they're even if they're just as good or maybe not quite as good, they they still have enough assets. I think they're better positioned. Um, so that's kind of what I'm going to be looking at. And like you said, Nick, so much of that kind of hinges on these next two drafts, which is really important. I'm getting more and more excited, but also like more and more anxious the closer closer keep, we get. Keep in mind too, like rewinding a bit from the Celtics analogy, even pre Tatum and Brown, they got those picks with that blockbuster deal with Brooklyn that sent KG and Paul Pierce and all those guys that turned into, again, a couple of top five picks that are now Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Oklahoma city with the, the Clippers trade and the Rockets trade could be very, very similar. Like we could be looking at, you know, a, a, J, a best case scenario, you could be looking at Jalen Suggs and Jonathan Kuminga oh being the next gosh. Jalen Brown. And J- That'd be, can you imagine? Or even just like one of those this draft, but then like an equivalent in two drafts yeah. later. Uh, I mean, Monty Bates' is name everybody wants to throw out there. And Chit, is it Chit? Chut? Chit. I don't know. Chit. Chit. <laughs> there's a lot of talent not very high on him i think he's super overrated and might come back to buy interesting eh. interesting i mean i've done enough research to tell you right or wrong what's the difference between him and poku they're both super skinny that are just dominating guys half their size what happened playing against less yeah less talented players against a freaking he hasn't committed yet randall Right? Like, so what's he going to look like in, the, in that one season of college or the G League at night? Like, right. the, that's going to be super telling for him. Yep. I'm with you. Where Armani Bates is just positioned. To, I mean, he's so he reminds good. me of uh, Jalen Green uh, and his strap. So I think Green, I went Green over Kaminga, which might be a hot take. Don't talk I to me anymore. Really like a green, I, I love Green. I do think, um, I think Green is an absolute, like, safe pick. Like, if you draft Jalen Green, he is going to be a star player it's just for me it's a matter of is he going to be top five good at his peak or is he going to be top 25 good at his peak yeah that's that's fair are we looking at a brandon ingram or are we looking at a I mean, i don't want to say this but kevin Durant. Yeah. um yeah. that's fair or, uh, jason uh, tatum there we yeah. go i love it i love it well nick uh we've gone long at, it actually looks a lot longer here on locker room due to um, us talking for a little bit before we really started going and also my technical difficulties however Thank you all for tuning in. Nick, you're the man. Always love chatting hoops with you. Uh, guys, some really good listening tonight, but we need more interaction. Jump in here. I want you talking, you know, chatting it up with us. You know, during these post games, tell us what you saw and what makes you angry and what makes you happy. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with this locker room thing. I'm really excited. And I promise to, to now that I've figured out this whole um, locker room situation and technical difficulties, uh, 
can get the audio back going and it'll, it'll be a fun time. So thank you guys for tuning in. We will be with you tomorrow, I guess, as the, the Thunder and their Mavericks inspired uniforms play the Dallas Mavericks. If you have a family relying on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. That's where Policy Genius comes in. In minutes, Policy Genius could save you 50% or more simply by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. To save on life insurance and get protection for you and your family, head to policygenius.com today. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.